services of the Boonville Church of Christ. I know we have visitors with us uh, here in the audience. You're our honored guest. We also have people who are watching us online and we are so thankful that you have joined us. Uh, there's a friendship register here on each pew. We would ask that everyone sign that. We'd like to have a record of everyone's attendance. At our 830 service this morning, I understand there were 108 individuals here. You know, we're doing everything we can to protect uh, against the COVID-19. Uh, having two services on Sunday morning is just an example of that. And then all of the sanitation that goes on in the auditorium between services is another example of that. We are in a period of revival at the Boonville Church of Christ. We have had several responses lately. I know yesterday uh, Brother Adrian Edge asked for prayers and, and Brother Ken had prayers with him and then at the morning service uh, Cole Sweeney asked prayers of the congregation. Uh, we are so thankful that we have a forgiving God and, and one that will allow us to take advantage of the blood of Jesus Christ. In our service today Brother Jeremy Jones will be leading our singing. Brother Rick Warner has the opening prayer. Um, scripture reading by Brother Tom Wade. Brother Ken Forrest will have the lesson. Brother J.T. Beard will lead us as we observe the Lord's Supper. And then uh, Jerry Barrett uh, will have announcements and our closing prayer. Would you bow with me, please? Our loving Heavenly Father, we know that you are great beyond our comprehension. And we join together today to worship thee. We pray that all that we do will be pleasing in your sight and our worship will be acceptable to thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First song this morning will be I Exalt Thee. Number 62, I Exalt Thee. Sing out this morning with me. For thou, O Lord, art
God, we are so thankful to thee that you've allowed us to assemble this morning, Father, to worship thee. We pray, Father, that as we worship thee this morning, that everything that we do, Father, will be acceptable in thy sight. We're so thankful, Father, for all that you do for us. We're so thankful, Father, for all the material blessings that you bless us with. We're especially thankful, Father, for all the spiritual blessings that are, that are in Christ Jesus. We're so thankful, Father, for our congregation here, and we just ask that you would continue to bless our congregation, Father. Bless the leaders of our congregation, Father, that we continue, that we could continue to further thy cause in our surrounding community, Father, and throughout the world. We, Father, we know that there are members of our congregation that are sick, and we just pray thy special blessings to be upon each one of them, Father, that you would touch them and help them to be restored to their health, Father. We know that there's been those that are sick, Father, that are better, and they're able to be back with us, and we're so thankful for that, Father. We just pray that you continue to be with them. We have those that have lost loved ones, Father. We just pray that you would be with, with each one of them, Father, to strengthen them, to hold them up, Father, and, and help them to face the days ahead and just always look to thee for strength. We're so thankful, Father, for Brother Ken and Sister Anita that they have come to uh, work with us, Father, and we pray thy special blessings to be upon them as they labor here with us, that uh, they would be able to do the work in a, in a way, Father, that would cause our congregation to grow both spiritually and materially. We're thankful for those, Father, that especially that have responded to the gospel and those that have asked for prayers, Father, and for forgiveness. We just pray that you would be with each one of them. We just pray, Father, now that you would go with Brother Ken today as he brings the lesson to us, that we would take the lesson, Father, and we would receive it into our hearts, and that we would apply it to our lives to help us to live better each day. We are so thankful, Father, for many things, but we're especially thankful, Father, for thy precious Son, Jesus, who came and gave the ultimate sacrifice on the cross that we could have hope of eternal life. We also pray, Father, that you would please forgive us when we fail thee because we know that we mess up, and we just ask that you would, would be with us, Father, and help us to turn from those ways, Father. Help us to always ask for thy forgiveness and Father, we do this in, in the name of the precious Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
song of invitation will be uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. After Brother Ken's lesson, our next song will be 742, Count Your Blessings. When upon watch
The scripture this morning is be taken from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Good morning, everyone. It is so great to see you. Wind blew you right in here. Were you up about 5 o'clock or 5.30 this morning? There was just a short little storm that blew through here. I thought it was going to take the roof off. But it has turned out so beautiful, and we're thankful for whatever the Lord gives, aren't we? Yes, we are. Thank you so much for the decision you made, a conscious decision to be a part of our assembly this morning. Appreciate all the songs that we've sung together and the prayers that have been offered on behalf of this congregation. We have visitors here and we're thankful for your presence and we hope you'll come back when you get the opportunity. That text right there, that, that is such an empowering text. And I do not want you to miss it. Do not grow weary while you are doing good. Because here's the reason. In due time, that is when it's right, maybe not when you want it, or even when you expected it, but when the time is right, God's going to, He's going to give the increase. He's going to give the blessing. We are going to reap. Do you trust that? Let's pray, and then we will begin our study of God's Word. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege that it is to assemble this morning. Thank you, Father, for the blessing of fellowship together. Thank you for our health and strength that's sufficient that we could be assembled today. But we're aware of so many of our number who are sick and confined to home. We pray, Father, that they will recover quickly and be back with us soon. We pray, Father, now that you'll bless us in our study of your word. I pray, Lord, that you will empower us. Help us to be encouraged and to know that you are going to give a great outcome. Father, just let your word sink into us and help me as a communicator to say what you need me to say in a way that is easy to receive so that folks will not be hindered in any way of making the application to their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the implication here is that I'm not going to lose heart so that I can see God do His thing. I want to trust in the outcome so much so that I'm not ever, ever going to give up until God gives what He promised to give. Woo! Ken, that's some bold talk in there. Because you know there are times when we get discouraged, times when, well, literally... The definition that's found right here in this text. God's going to deliver if we do not lose heart. So don't grow weary while doing good. 
when the season's right, God's going to give it. <laughs> if. Well, that's a big if in that text. If we don't lose heart. Lose heart, represented other ways, I'm going to choose the word discouraged. Now, the word discouraged is used a few times in the New Testament scriptures. I'm thinking about its special application in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. There, the instruction is in the midst of encouragements for families, and here it's pinpointing the Father's responsibility. He is not to discourage his children. He is to train them just as we find in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. He's not to berate them with the Word of God in such form that it causes them to be discouraged. Now, the word discourage literally means to be deprived of courage or to be deprived of confidence. It means to become disheartened, literally to have your heart taken out of you, or to become spiritless. You say, well, you can't take my spirit from me. Well, not, not the idea of your eternal spirit. But, you know, the joyful part of you, that diligent part of you, the zealous part, the part that just gets everything going, that. Don't take that out of your children. Of course, in that application, uh, we, we see the relationship that's important. Make that broader. If discouragement can be had in that relationship, you know as well as I do, discouragement can creep up in all sorts of places. You've had it happen to you. I've certainly had it happen to me. I was all fired up about something. And then something just took my enthusiasm away. No longer had the courage or the heart or the spirit for a thing. Paul writes this short little statement here as an antidote to our discouragement. Don't grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart, if we don't become discouraged. And as much as it is true that we can become discouraged, I have to think, according to this text, that it's also possible to overcome that discouragement. So this morning, that's exactly what I want to talk about. Those things that set us back, those things that take our courage and our heart and our spirit away, I want to overcome that. So let's think of this in a logical way. First thing I want to do, I want to identify the problem areas. I want to identify those areas that for the child of God create discouragement. Now, you can make application in all sorts of areas of your life. Look, you get discouraged at work, you get discouraged at play. We're the church. So I want to think about those things that really set 
a stumbling block before us that, that keep us as a church from achieving what God wants us to achieve. He's laid it out there for us. He says, come get this. Except that sometimes the if becomes the problem. We become disheartened. We become discouraged. It ought to be an encouraging thing for us when, okay, so we've identified a brother or a sister that's gone astray, but we become fired up about reclaiming a soul, and we go to great lengths in order to encourage and build them back up so that they will return to their first love. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, just preceding this encouraging text right here, in verse 1 he says, If anyone is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. You can do this. It's like examine yourself and realize that what has happened to them could happen to you, but listen, your desire is to rescue a soul. So get your heart right, get your mind right, and go out there and rescue. Man, when I think about that, I'm so encouraged. I just want to go out there and, and reap back from what Satan has taken to have a win for Jesus. We get fired up about that, right? Reclaiming souls. Or, or maybe it went another way. James chapter 5, 19 and 20. If anyone wonders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way has saved a soul from sin and covered a mul uh, saved a soul from death and covered a multitude of sins. Man, so they wandered away, but look, it was me, right? Or, or a group of us. We went out there and we reclaimed. We saved them from death. Oh, that's so encouraging just to think about the prospect of that. But let's say that that we do that. You know, we've got a heart for reclaiming souls. It broke our heart when they left, and now we're going about all this effort to bring them in, and we go talk with them. We've already set our heart right. We're expecting great results. But instead, they just push us aside. They have a great disdain for the love we have for them, trying to bring them back. They want nothing to do with us. I'll be honest with you. Even though I went out there with great hopes and a smile on my face, I go away from there feeling pretty discouraged. It hurts. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's just generally doing good. Verse 2, you noticed, said to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ to love your neighbor as yourself. So I'm loving them by caring for them. Hey, let me help you bear that burden. And I feel so good about that, right? I'm encouraged because when I do a good thing, I expect they're going to appreciate it. They will. Just like James chapter 1, verse 27, you know, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows and to keep yourself uh, unspotted from the world. Oh, to visit, literally to care for, the widows and the orphans. I want to do that. I want to, 
want to help somebody and build them up. Oh, I can't wait. But, but what if, what if you gear up to do that? And we do here at Boonville uh, on Thursdays, the second and third of the month. Well, we've got all this food we're passing out. We passed out over, uh, uh, took care of over 100 people just this past week. And we're looking for more this week. And I think, man, what a great thing to do. Passing out all this food. And then next to us, they're handing out clothes. Just trying to see to the needs of people. And when I walk over here in the morning in order to participate in that, I can hardly even touch the ground. I'm thinking, wow, this, this is going to be great. I'm so encouraged. But... But what if you do that? And you, you spend all that time, that money, the resources, your emotional bank account is spent in loving people, but what if what, they absolutely don't appreciate it at all? You know, maybe all they want to do is complain about what you gave them. Or somehow, somehow your gift ain't good enough. I'll tell you what, I, I went over there skipping, and now I, man, to be honest with you, I'd be discouraged. I'd be dragging my feet. Maybe it's not that at all. Maybe I, I look around me and I say, you know what, as a Christian, I have responsibilities. I try to meet every day. Let's just think about the family for a minute. My, my expectation is that in my family, I'm going to be encouraged. Like if you are the mother in a family, a Christian family, here's what you can expect. You're going to assume that your husband and your children, they are, they are just going to love you up all the time. Like Ephesians 5 verse 25 Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. If you're a mother in a home, you're thinking, that, that father right there, he loves me so much. Or the children. Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And just, just from the standpoint of the promises to the children, you're thinking, children, go love mom, oh. Or dad. Dad, same kind of expectation, right? I, I'm going to assume, so I'm so encouraged every day I go home, I'm going to assume my family's just going to love me Mom's going to love me, the wife. And I think about the instruction that Paul told Timothy to give the older women to the younger women. In Titus chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 4, he said for those younger women to love their husbands, love their children, be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So I'm thinking as a Christian... No doubt about it. God's word's going to be uh, lifted up. God's going to be glorified because he's got children in a home who just love each other so much. A husband and wife loving each other, children loving their parents. Everything's going great. I'm so encouraged. Unless it's not like that. You know, my expectation is not really met with the reality of it. 
wouldn't I be discouraged? If I'm a mother or a father, or even the children for that matter, and I don't feel loved in a home that's supposed to specialize in love, won't I be discouraged? And then generally, you know, the church has got that responsibility to go out and preach the gospel. And so we spend lots of money and we send people. You know, isn't it encouraging to hear reports like we heard a couple of weeks ago about work that's being done on mission fields? Or maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you went on a trip and you talk about it all the time. Or maybe you're an evangelist now. Maybe you're just a, a missionary to your own community. You're fired up about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with your friends and your neighbors. And you go out there with every intention of winning a soul for Jesus. But then what if you got all enthused, excited, and you went out there and you got no results at all? Good attitude, got the Word of God, powerful, but something's not clicking. You might hang in there for a while, but if that persists, boy, that can get to be so discouraging. I want you to consider some possible explanations. The reason I'm going to make this turn is because it may not be, despite what we just analyzed, it may not be a results-based problem. I didn't get the results I was expecting. I'm discouraged. Maybe that's not the problem. Maybe it's deeper than that. Maybe the problem is sin. Could be. It could be my sin that's causing the discouragement. Say, what, what, what do you mean by that? I, I'm striving to be a faithful Christian. Listen, Peter, Peter before the crucifixion, oh man, that guy was encouraged. <laughs> Wasn't he though? That he runs around, he is involved in everything. And when he isn't speaking, he's sticking his foot in his mouth. <laughs> you know, he is always on top of everything. He's involved in everything. He is one of, many, many people describe him this way, as being within the inner three of the disciples of Jesus. That guy was so enthused and, and full of energy and had a heart for the work of God, just full of courage. Until... Until he denied the Lord three times. And that really changed everything. In fact, Luke 22 and verse 62 says that after that he wept bitterly. Now, if you don't know what that means, he wasn't just weeping, he was just shedding some tears. He was down on the floor convulsing. What in the world have I done? Personal sin can bring you down to the ground, discouraged. You know, the Lord had to reclaim him. He was done. But not quite as finished 
as the next guy, Judas. Huh. In the book of Matthew, chapter 27, verses 4 and 5, after he has already betrayed the Lord, he starts thinking about this, and he wants to renege on his deal. But you know the Jewish leaders were not having it, and so Judas was stuck. His solution, so discouraged, that he went out and he hanged himself. So encouraged to begin with, sin brought discouragement, even to his death. Maybe the most famous sinner of all, David. King David, famous sinner, wrote psalms about it. Most notable is probably Psalm 51. In verses 3 and 4 of that text, he said, I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now, what's interesting about that, read between the lines is, wait a minute, David. <laughs> you didn't just sin against God. You sinned against the whole nation. You sinned against, sinned against your family. You sinned against the people that were involved with you in the sin. You are responsible. I know I'm responsible. But I'm telling you, this sin is eating at me. And all I can think about is what I've done to God. I've sinned against you, God. Sometimes the discouragement that we feel isn't the result of something that happened. It's our fault, our sin. But you know, sin has far-reaching consequences. And so, it, honestly, it may not even be my sin per se. It might be somebody else's sin that's affecting me and what I'm trying to do. And it's bringing discouragement to me. Here's a classic example. Okay, so here are all these members in the Corinthian church, and if you've read 1 Corinthians, you know there was plenty of fault to spread around. But that thing comes to a head in chapter 5 because there is a guy among them, a member of that church, who is involved with his own father's wife, a sin that is not even heard among the Gentiles. And here he is in the body. And Paul in verse 6 says, understand that that sin is like leaven, and it leavens the whole lump. Here's the thing, not every member in that church was involved in that sin. Probably not everybody knew exactly the details of what was going on, but everybody was being affected by it. So if there is sin in the body, it affects everybody, and it can discourage everybody. I don't know. Maybe it's not that either. Maybe it is a, maybe it is a, a body-wide problem. When Paul went on his missionary tours, you know, he's always risking something because he's going into places they haven't heard the gospel before. Usually he has to lead them out of idolatry first to learn about the true God and then to teach them about Jesus and God's plan of salvation, all of that. So there, there was a lot going into that. You can imagine spending all this time with people and trying to encourage them in their obedience to the gospel when they finally do obey the gospel. Oh, you're so encouraged. And not only that, there are so many people in this community that have obeyed the gospel that we actually build an entire church 
so was true in Galatia. There were churches all over the place. But Paul, when he wrote the letter to the Galatians, in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is not another, but there be some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Whoa, wait, what happened? Paul says, you know, I came in there and I preached the gospel and you people obeyed the gospel. I was so encouraged, I moved on to preach it to somebody else. I was so confident in you. And now look, I marvel, I'm amazed, I can't believe it that you have turned so soon to another gospel. You think he wasn't discouraged? Had to be. I feel it coming right through those letters. Maybe it's just worldwide. <laughs> Maybe it's just a worldwide problem. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Oh, there you go. A church on every block teaching a different gospel. What in the world? Not only do we marvel that they are turning to a different gospel, but now it blows our mind. They're following after all kinds of false spirits of doctrine. What in the world? That could just discourage us so much and feel like we're never going to win this battle. Or maybe it's an internal church problem. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 15, 16, and 17, Jesus identifies a problem in the uh, church in Laodicea, a problem, the text says, that they didn't even realize existed. Okay, now there's you a bad one. You think everything's fine. You're going along, everything's hunky-dory, and all of a sudden, you get this word that says, Oh, you people, you are lukewarm. I want to vomit you out of my mouth. You think you are rich and wealthy and in need of nothing, but in reality, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Can you imagine sitting in the pew hearing that? You're like, What? Didn't even know. Wouldn't that be discouraging? Yes, sir. Well, we identified the problem. And we have considered possible explanations. But let's don't stay there. I can look back all the time. And I can say, here's why I'm discouraged. Ken, you don't understand. I have a right to be discouraged. Peace. Okay. We all get discouraged. But here's what this text says that I do not want you to forget. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. You are going to reap. If you are doing the work of God, God promises right here in this little text... I am going to give you success. Listen carefully now. You are guaranteed, guaranteed success if. There's the big if, because we've been talking about all those things that cause 
the other side of that to happen. That stop the promise of God. God's standing by His promise, but He says, the only condition here is that you do not lose heart. Don't become discouraged. You say, I'm discouraged. Well, then why aren't we having success? Uh, is it so-and-so? <laughs> Wait a minute. Is it me? It might be. Are you discouraged? Have you put your hands down? Have you given up? Have you quit? Because if you've done that, then you have left a promise of God sitting right there on the table. God says, I'm going to reap. I'm going to give you success if you don't lose heart. The Apostle Paul believed in that so strongly that he lived a life of suffering and abuse. But what he did was he kept in mind this promise. I'm going to give you success. So Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Who is it that loves his appearing? The very one who keeps their mind focused on the ultimate goal. Just as the Apostle Paul did through every kind of suffering, but he never quit. Would you say, oh, as I think about the Apostles, the Apostle Paul, that guy, that guy was such a quitter. No, that guy would not quit, no matter what. He went to his death fighting for, well, fighting for the gospel, fighting for Jesus. And do you know what? He got a crown for it. He got ultimate success. You say, oh, it's good for him, but what about me? You do that? He says here in this text, you'll get the same thing. Can you imagine being blessed like the Apostle Paul? And as you think about the Apostle Paul, where do you think he is right now? If I took survey, most of us would say, without being his judge or anything, we're just kind of adding it up, he's in heaven. You know, he's with the Lord. In fact, he said, if a stay here is good, but it'd be better for me to go be with the Lord. Well, I'd like to go be with the Lord. It would be better than for me to be with you. I can help you. Wait. Are you mixed up, Paul? What's the deal? Well, you know what? Whether I stay or whether I go, doesn't matter because I'm going to do the Lord's will. See, that was his attitude. No matter what, I am never going to put my hands down. I'm never going to have my heart, my spirit taken from me in the work of the Lord because if I will persevere through it, I'll reap the reward. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Ken, we're wasting our time. No, you are not. No, you are not. Here's what happens. We say, we're wasting our time. We're spinning our wheels. Let's quit. Let's start something else. You expect God to just keep blessing that. Start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. It's like, wait a minute. I haven't even got the blessing this one yet. You quit it, started something else. No, no. Going to do the will of God and going to stick to it. Because, he says, hold your ground, stand fast. It's like sometimes we get discouraged. Okay, that's right. I, you know, my enthusiasm for it has waned. Somebody hurt my heart. But I'm not backing up. I'm going to stand right here. And then when I get my, get my senses about me again, then I'm going to move forward. And the reason why is because i got my mind set on something better and bigger. 
Because God is going to, God promises to, give the increase. Look, we're all going to be discouraged from time to time. No doubt about that. That's just human. But God makes possible for us to, here's an interesting word, overcome. Overcome. I get the sense that if there's an obstacle right here, I'm going to overcome it. I'm going over it. I'm going through it with the Lord's help. It's not going to remain an obstacle for me. Not with God's power behind me, no sir. It was exactly that idea that was expressed in the book of Revelation. I mentioned Laodicea a moment ago. Boy, they had the problems. But to every single church, seven of them in in that text, seven different churches, five of them had major problems. But to every single one of them, he promised, you can overcome. You can. Well, we already know, right? If. If you do not lose heart. If you don't become discouraged. Hey, if you're a child of God, you discouraged? Don't stay there. We got stuff to do. Let's get fired up for the Lord, knowing that He's going to give the increase in the end. He is going to see us reap if we'll just stick with it. So, discouraged for a season. Let's wake up and let's, and by all means, don't go backward. But if that's happened to you, then, you know what, it's no shame to admit that that's true and ask for forgiveness. Brother Adrian, yesterday, on his bed, in writhing pain in his knees, said at his advanced age, and with a reputation for work as a deacon for many years past, says, I'm afraid I've left some things undone. Will you please pray for me? Oh, Lord, help me. So maybe that's you. Maybe there's some stuff we need to pray about. And we'll take whatever time is necessary. If you're not a child of God, today's the day to have your sins washed away. And look, you come up out of that water, you've got your sin. If that, if that's enough. That's enough. But here's the promise. God's going to be with you, hence. So He's going to give you success. It's guaranteed if you don't lose heart. You start with that vigor, that enthusiasm, and you don't stop. Maybe there's somebody we just need to pray about to encourage you or whatever. We're your family. We love you. And we'll pray, and I'd like to say we'd hug you. Maybe we'll cheat and do that too. But if there's anybody who needs to respond, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand and sing. What a friend we have in Jesus.
As we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, is there anyone in the audience that doesn't have a communion packet? If you do, if there is, raise your hand and we will see that you get one. Would you bow with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we're so very thankful for the fact that you loved us enough that you would allow your one and only Son to come to this earth, to give his life on Calvary's cross that we could have remission of our sins. We pray, Father, that as we partake of this bread, which represents his body that was broken there, that we might do so in a way that would be acceptable in your sight. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Please bow with me again while we offer thanks for the fruit of thine. Our Heavenly Father, we're so uh, appreciative of the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross, that he was willing to shed his blood, that we could be your children. And we pray, Father, that as we partake of this fruit of thine, which represents his blood that was shed there for the remission of the sins of the world, that we might remember and appreciate the things he's done for us. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. That concludes the Lord's Supper. On the first day of the week, we're expected to lay by and store We have that opportunity now, but let's thank God for the physical blessings that he's blessed us with. Our Heavenly Father, we're so very thankful that we live in a country where we have so many opportunities and privileges. We're especially thankful, Father, for the physical blessings that you send our way every day. We're thankful for the jobs that we have, the opportunities that we have to work and to make a living, and you've blessed us so richly. Help us to remember how you have blessed us as we return a portion of those blessings back to you. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Uh, Just a few announcements before we're dismissed after our closing prayer.
Uh, some sad news. Uh, uh, Jerry Walden passed away. I will be a private service, but let's all be in prayer for the family. Also, just uh, Randy told me that uh, Vicki Stutz, brother-in-law, Keith Lovell, he just passed away. Uh, let's be in prayer for that family. And uh, also be in prayer for Josh Moore, Charlotte's son, in ICU at New Albany uh, with double pneumonia and COVID. And uh, there's so many more to be in prayer for. Let's just, let's keep our prayers going and help each other, encourage each other. Uh, we had 108 at the 830 service, and uh, there's 140 here. And uh, like I said, there's so many people to be in prayer for. Let's, let's keep them up. And uh, uh, we will uh, do our closing prayer before we're dismissed and just be uh, careful. I forgot one thing. There's a 2 o'clock deacons and elders meeting at the annex. So uh, if that includes you, please be there at 2 o'clock, maybe five minutes before. So uh, before we leave, let's have a closing prayer. Bow with me. Our Heavenly Father, we're so, so deeply blessed every day to have the gift that has been given to us through your Son. There are so many that we have to pray for, Father, and we know that it is our job, it is our responsibility. Father, we love each other, and we learn this from Thee. We learn it from Your Son. Father, we pray for everyone that helps us and helps each other. We pray for medical personnel. We pray for our teachers. We pray for our law enforcement, Father. We, we pray for military personnel, all corners of the world. Father, may we not let this world cloud our judgment. May we not let it steer our thinking and our actions the wrong direction. We read thy word and we learn the right way to go. May we not let it diminish our hope, for we know what the truth is. Father, we know that Jesus was here. We know that Jesus rose again. And Father, we know that Jesus is coming back. And Father, we know that each and every one of us must be ready. We shall be ready, Father, and we shall spread thy word. And we love your Son, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen.